Right. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And uh, we're going to be looking at quite a few different passages tonight. We're continuing on in our uh, loose series, I would say, on hard things, hard passages, uh, either passages that are difficult to uh, deal with is uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, where Jesus tells us that if we're going to be his disciples, you must hate your father and mother and family. And uh, we understand uh, we've been through that. We can't take time to do that again. And then last week, Jesus had talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood in, in uh, John chapter 6. And of course, we understood that uh, we followed the passage and Jesus said, listen, I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. And, and we come here to Acts chapter 9. And, and it's really interesting because it's Jesus that uh, makes the statement here in verse 5. Uh, uh, Paul is speaking at the beginning and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And, of course, I don't know about you, but as I read that, my first thought is someone kicking a cactus uh, or a thorn bush. Uh, And really, that's not exactly where this phrase comes from, but it would certainly apply there. I've often told the story, one of my memorable stories from a child. We were, uh, I was out actually rabbit hunting, walking through the woods and, and, and looking around and all of a sudden I felt uh, a pain and I looked down and there was a thorn all the way through the top of my rubber boot right into the top of my foot. Uh, uh, I don't know what you call that tree. We called it a thorn apple tree because it had some little apples on it. But, I mean, it had thorns three and four inches long and just as sharp and as hard as you could ever imagine. But turn with me, if you would, to Ecclesiastes 12. And, and these are actually the pricks that Jesus is speaking about here. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 11. This is Solomon speaking. He said, the words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of the assembly, which are given from one shepherd. The words of the wise are as goads. Now, how many of you know what a goad is? Uh, the most typical use of goad in the Bible times would be an ox goad. You know, oxen were not always uh, the most cooperative or uh, intuitive animals out there. In fact, uh, we have a little uh, idiom that we use to this day, dumb as an ox. Uh, and, and so, in order to get the oxen to do what they were supposed to do, you had a goad. You had a long stick with a sharp point. And uh, the reason you had a long stick is because you were poking the oxen, usually in the hinder quarters. And uh, if you were close enough that that oxen kicked and hit you, you probably wouldn't make that mistake twice. You'd be dead. Uh, They are very powerful animals. And so uh, here Solomon says, listen, the words of the wives are as goads. They poke you and get you moving in the right direction. And uh, or it says as nails fastened by the masters of ceremonies. I mean, sorry, masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Now, do we have to spend a lot of time figuring out who the shepherd is? The the shepherd of the Bible, the one shepherd of the Bible, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Solomon was uh, not uh, 
necessary, not making reference exactly to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because he hadn't been born yet, but he was making reference to the Messiah, to the one prophet that God would send. And as Paul is laying there in the dirt on the road to Damascus, Jesus asked him this question, or makes this statement, actually, He says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, oftentimes they say, as as the person would try to goad the ox, the ox would kick. And guess what he would do? He would injure himself, forcing himself back on the goad, on the sharp pointed stick that was meant to irritate him enough, not injure him, but irritate the oxen enough to move in the right direction. And so Jesus is painting an incredible word picture here. He's saying, Paul, are you tired kicking against the very things that God has given to move you in the right direction? direction. The only thing you do is you're injuring yourself. Now, we could take a a little bit of time and go through the life of the Apostle Paul, but in Acts chapter 26, I, uh, I encourage you to read through there. He gives his testimony. He says, I thought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, of course, had appeared in person. Uh, Some commentator asked the question and said, uh, is there any possibility that the Apostle Paul uh, could have actually seen Jesus while he was alive? And, of course, we can't actually answer that question. But if, if it were, if it actually did happen, number one, the Apostle Paul never mentions it. So it had been something that, He didn't remember, or he would have been a very, very young child. And most of his very earliest days were spent in Colicchio, which was nowhere near Jerusalem. Uh, More than likely, by the time the Apostle Paul got to Jerusalem, all of the events of the Gospels were already recorded and over. That would be the simplest understanding. And yet... Uh, Just touching on one other thing is the office of apostle is someone who was directly called and trained by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have no apostles today. Uh, Every once in a while you'll meet someone that will call themselves an apostle. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a board of apostles. And the uh, Mormon church also has uh, uh, leadership that they call, uh, their, their head man there in Salt Lake City is called the Apostle. Uh, and, um, of course, that's not all these people are wrong about. Uh, the, and Jesus appeared to Paul, read Galatians chapter 1. Jesus trained the Apostle Paul personally. He was called and trained by Jesus. And so what I would like for us to do tonight, a little different tack on things here, but is to look at some of these pricks that people kick against. Some of these things that God has put in his word and just simply ask the question, isn't it hard What extremes do people go to to try to get around the very things that God put in his word to poke us, to irritate us, so that we'll move in the right direction? That's what a goat is used for. How about the first one being the name of Jesus Christ? You know, we have to remember God, Jesus, when he was given instructions on prayer, said, 
Our Father which art in heaven. What was the next phrase? Hallowed be thy name. How many, how, how meant much extremes are used by mankind to demean the name of Jesus Christ, to cast aspersion upon his deity, to, uh, uh, to uh, claim that his power wasn't as real as the Bible says. It's, it's amazing to me uh, the, the reasoning in the book uh, or in the teachings of Islam concerning Jesus Christ. He is the greatest of all prophets. He is greater than Muhammad. But he is not who the New Testament says he is. Whom the New Testament says he is. Uh, uh, the New Testament is full of all kinds of problems and corrections, and yet I would challenge you there's more evidence for the words of this New Testament than there is for the Quran. And, and so how do they get around this thing? Well, they finally have to hide behind the fact that the Bible is not God's words. They, they want to demean him. Uh, another way of of demeaning the name of Jesus is adding to his works. You see, that's why that verse, John chapter 19, verse 30, is on the wall behind me. Isn't it amazing? It is to me that 90% of all religion that calls itself Christian is giving you things to do to finish the work that Jesus said that he finished on the cross. If it is finished, what is there left to do? It's amazing that the Protestants and the Catholics fought wars over the list of things you're supposed to do to finish the work of salvation in your own life. Uh, That they promise uh, a hope of salvation if you'll only do, and then fill in the blanks. Whereas Jesus said, it is finished. Peter said, all things are given unto us that pertain unto life and godliness. If you have all things that pertain unto life and godliness, do you need anything else? Absolutely not. And so we have all of these things and we look at... Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus is going to return on the white horse and the armies of heaven with him. And you need to read that very carefully. Who does the fighting in Revelation chapter 19? Not the armies of heaven, my friend. They just follow. Jesus does all of the fighting with the words of his mouth. The sword that goeth out of his mouth. And... We need to understand that the name of Jesus is not a curse word, my friend. The name of Jesus needs to be held dear. The name of Jesus will keep us in the way that God wants us to go. That's why we have such a huge uh, attack upon who Jesus is and what he has done and how they try to bring other people alongside him. And I don't mean to be sarcastic tonight, but it, it just makes me really frustrated when certain religions bring in other people. If you would read the, the Catholic traditions and things, you would think that Jesus was absolutely weak without his mother there to prop him up. In fact, Mel Gibson, when he made his filthy garbage movie called The Passion of the Christ, uh, I did not watch it, I just heard a review, had, had a scene where Jesus was being beaten and his mother Mary was laying on the floor above, giving him power because he couldn't take it on his own. That's not the God of the Bible, my friend. That's not the Jesus of Scriptures. He does not need any help. He came to help us. Amen? And these are hard words because people argue and it's amazing. You have on one idea this vicious, mean, hateful Jesus who can only be reached through the pleas of his mother. 
And then you come over here to the Protestants and you have this wishy-washy, effeminate, uh, almost homosexual version uh, of somebody who would just say, oh, it's no big deal, we'll take care of everything. Could I challenge you that both ideas and representations of Christ are equally blasphemous? And that if you're going to serve the real Jesus Christ, you're going to find opposition. You're going to have people kicking against the goad. And what you have to understand, what I have to understand, whom are they hurting? You know, this is what Jesus was really asking the Apostle Paul on. Well, he wasn't the Apostle Paul yet. This is what he was asking Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Are you tired of hurting yourself yet? Have you woken up to the fact that the only person you are truly inflicting pain and damage on is you? And we would... We'll hear this echo throughout the life of Paul. He said, Jesus came to save sinners. What was the next phrase? Of whom I am chief. He said, and, and talked repeatedly about persecuting the church of God. And those things were on his conscience. Could I, could I challenge you? That people who try to oppose and blaspheme the name of Jesus do not need us to fight against them. They they need us to have compassion upon them and to just keep presenting the truth because they're the ones. uh, Several years ago, dealing with, with people who have Use knowledge to injure themselves. I came up with a little phrase. They impaled themselves upon the pike uh, of their own knowledge. A pike is just a goad that's been turned into a weapon. And, and we have a lot of people out there. This is what they're doing. They're kicking against the pricks. They're taking the very things that God has given to point them in the right direction. And the only thing that they're getting done is injuring themselves. Now, what do you do when someone wants to do that? Well, the best thing is don't grab a hold of the pike and push more. All right? Is try to help them understand the only person they're hurting is themselves. How about the Bible? Isn't this a goad? How how many of you have been corrected by reading the words of this book called the Bible? Your conscience has been, whoa, wait a minute. I shouldn't be doing this. I remember years ago we were going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, not as of yet, but my future brother-in-law, Ted Monsoor, was, uh, just, had just come to our church. And, and uh, Ted had moved to New York City to be a punk rocker. And he had hair down about his shoulders and he was just... And he just newly gotten saved and he came, I think it was... He hadn't been here just a couple of months. And we were going through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is a shame for a man to have long hair. And I, I, I was in my mind saying, man, I need to tell Ted this before the service starts. And uh, before I knew it, the announcements were over. My notes were in front of me. And there was Ted sitting about three rows back. And I'm going... Here we go. This will be a real test to see whether he's going to listen to the Word of God. No warning. Well, he came back the next Sunday and he said, I fixed it. He had a crew cut. He had gone to one of those uh, 
places where they cut your hair off and make wigs for little girls that have cancer. And I'm sure some little girl really benefited uh, from all of that hair. And then he looks at me and says, I think you need a haircut, hippie. And uh, the only problem was it was true. Uh, it wasn't quite as long as his was, but uh, it, it was definitely in need of a little trim there. But how complicated is that? I mean, how far afield do you have to go to change the words that are in this book so that you can do whatever you want? Um, I was talking with an Islamic man years ago, and uh, he said, well, see, the problem is everybody has their own interpretation of the Bible. He says, the Quran only has one interpretation. I said, don't lie to me like that. And he was just, <laughs> I said, you guys fight wars over what you believe the Quran says. He says, but you cannot con- change the Quran. I said, oh, yes, I can. Give me one. I'll show you how it's done. Uh, it's real easy. All you do is go over here and take a word and go over here and take a word. And you can make it say anything you want. All you have to be is a reporter for the New York Times. Amen? Uh, uh, you, you can change the words. But to let the Bible speak for itself. How simple was that? How many times have you been goaded in the right direction? I've got entire books on my shelf. Uh, I was... Fairly fortunate, I I believe, to get one book. It was written by a professor who actually taught at the Bible college I attended. Praise God, not while I was a student there. But he was one of the men instrumental in taking Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, and changing the doctrinal statement from only the King James Bible to anything but the King James Bible, which is about where they stand today. It's not worded that exact way, but uh, that is the practical carry, uh, that is the practical philosophy. When I was a student there, if you showed up on campus with anything but a King James Bible, you were an oddball. In fact, you were the uh, object of ridicule and people were questioned, what are you doing at this college if you don't believe the Bible is the Word of God? And today, you show up with a King James Bible and they said, are you really that stupid? Yes, I really am. In fact, I'm so stupid to believe that when David uh, penned Psalm 12 and where God's words are pure and that they're purified in a furnace of earth seven times, and God was going to keep those words forever. I just believe what the Bible says. You know why? The question is authority. Who's in charge? I want to challenge you, if you want to be a member of this church, this book is in charge. It is the court of last appeal. We don't go anywhere past the Bible. And we don't go to someone's commentary on the Bible. Someone said, well, where, where's the Baptist book that tells you what the Bible says? And I said, well, actually, we only have one book as the Baptist. We have this one. And, and it tells, well, how do you know which, which interpretation is true? Well, you actually compare Scripture with Scripture. You know, that's why we're going to move around a little bit tonight. Do you know that it takes a little bit of work, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we can talk about the divisions that are in the Bible. You know, one of the biggest problems with Reformed theology and the reason why they come to so many erroneous conclusions is because they take Israel of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament and make them congruent. Who says you can't take a square pig and stick it in a round hole? That's what Reformed theology does. 
uh, that's how it comes to all of these really weird conclusions about baby baptism equaling circumcision in the Old Testament and things that have nothing in common whatsoever. You see, 2 Peter 1.20 says that no Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, what that simply means is if you're the only person in the world smart enough to figure that out, you're not near as smart as you think you are. In fact, you've stepped over the line of intelligence into the area of foolishness. You see, if I read a verse and you can't see it there, maybe it's not there. Now, there have been times where someone says, well, I I just don't see the Bible that way. Well, let's sit down and let's actually talk about this. I'm I'm not afraid of opposing views because most of the time there's an influence in there that is strictly not biblical. How many of you have heard the phrase, well, we're all God's children. Boy, that is a universally accepted statement. Is it biblically true? Absolutely not. Only those that have been born into God's family are His children. Oh, that's divisive. You think you're the only ones going to heaven? No. I had someone tell me that and said, you you think only Baptists are going to heaven? I said, I do not. I said, most of them aren't going to make it either, according to the Scriptures. Uh, Only those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Only those who are willing to pay attention to these words. Only those who are willing to believe that Jesus is the only way. You see, how about another one? i got to get moving here. i got four more before we get to the text tonight. How about the local church? You know, it's absolutely absurd that I should have to use the adjective local in front of church in the Bible. But you know what? I have to because there is so much false teaching out there. There is no such thing as a universal church. Uh, There's no such thing as a universal anything, only in fairy tales. Because nothing, in fact, what do they tell you? You've taken a test. If the word never is in the phrase, it's always false, isn't it? Try it. You'll be safe. 999 times out of a thousand, you're taking a true and false test. If the word never is in there you're almost always going to be true to mark false. Unless it's, do the Democrats, uh, the Democrats will stop raising, and will never raise taxes. Politicians will never raise taxes. You, you know that's, that's, a, that's a false statement, but we'll, we'll keep moving on here. I didn't word that quite right. And so, yet, here's what I want to challenge you, is how many substitutes... How many bypasses, how many different ways has man decided or attempted to circumvent the local church? How many of you have ever heard of support groups? Do you know that psychiatric support groups are all a very poor imitation of what should happen in the local church? Uh, Some of them are out and out beyond reasonable Uh, any reason at all, but how about small group studies? Have you heard that phrase? Oh, we're, we're into small groups in our church. We're, we're not going to have our service on Wednesday night so everybody can meet in their homes. We, we want to make it convenient. And and we want to train people to be teachers and, 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 uh, no, listen. How many of you went to a school where the teacher, college, you paid money to go to college, you sat in a classroom and the teacher said, the professor said, now listen, I'm not going to teach you anything. I know you're paying for me to teach you, but you're going to teach yourselves. Has anybody been in a class like that? You know what? 
Why is the professor getting paid? Because he's going to teach you. Isn't that right? And again, I don't claim to be the greatest teacher, but I do teach the greatest book. And there is a line of authority and direction in the church, and the pastor's given that responsibility. And I wish I had a dollar for every person that has come through our doors and say, well, I just think everybody ought to be in charge. Uh, try that at work with your boss on Monday morning. Just let him know that he's no longer the boss, that everybody's the boss. And see how long you get a paycheck. Uh, it doesn't work anywhere and it doesn't work in the church. There, there's authority. There's a line of authority in, and people get caught up in that. You read your Bible, Acts chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 3. Everything is by, through, and for local church. How about baptism in the Lord's Supper? You know, God gave us those things to help us be pushed in the right direction. And over the years, we've had many. He says, well, listen, I, I, I had one guy, I was baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and if that's not good enough for you, then I won't be a member of your church. And I said, have at it, sir. You see, if you're going to identify with Ellen G. White and her teachings and be baptized under her authority, we don't have any place for you here. Because, see, our authority is the Word of God. And Ellen G. White advocated that authority, or not advocated, she took that authority from the Lord Jesus Christ to start her own church. And we refuse to accept that as Bible baptism. Oh, that's divisive. Well, wait a minute. These are pricks. These are goads that the Lord has put there. You see, we Baptists make the least deal of baptism of anybody. You know what happens when you get baptized in this church? You get wet. Amen? And you give a public testimony of your identification with Jesus and the doctrine of the church. That's all there is to it. And we want to do things as simple and as biblical as we can. How about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? I will challenge you. If you're wrong about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're wrong about a lot of things. That's why we advertise on our website. We are pre-millennial and we are pre-tribulational. We believe Jesus is coming back before the millennial kingdom. We believe he's coming back before the tribulation. We do not believe the church is going through the tribulation just because of what the scriptures say. The Antichrist is going to be given power to wear out the saints of God. Read your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Jesus said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. So you can't have both going on at the same time. They're mutually exclusive truths. And so the simplest understanding is the church is going to be out of here. It tells us in Titus that the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, His soon return, is the blessed hope of the believer. I had somebody tell me, oh, the, the reason you believe in a pre-tribulational rapture is because you don't want to suffer persecution. I said, excuse me? I said, whoever you got that statement from has no understanding of truth at all. It has, what hope would there be? Oh, you're only going to be there for the first three and a half years of the fact that three and a half to four billion people are going to die, you're only going to be there for the first half of it. Is that encouraging to you or what? I mean, what hope is there in that? No, it says he's going to save us from the wrath to come. And every man that hath this hope in him, what? Purifieth himself even as he is pure. You see, there's a purpose. That second coming is mentioned more than almost any other doctrine. Uh, the demands of biblical 
separation or sanctification. You know what? That's a doctrine that hasn't been preached on uh, a lot in in the what people call mainstream Christianity for several generations. When I was very young, uh, in the early 60s, was the waning decade of the holiness movement. And uh, that was made up primarily of the Nazarenes, many of the early tongue-speaking churches, uh, Pentecostals, uh, 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 Christian Missionary Alliance, Assembly of God, those kind of churches. If you walked in, I have a wedding band on my hand. If you walked in one of their churches, they would say, listen, if you want to be in our church, you've got to take that wedding band. The Bible says you're not supposed to wear gold. And if the lady, if a lady walked in, they would say, we have clothes here. We, if you're going to be in our service, we're going to ask you to put on clothes in fitting with our dress standard. And ten years later, the Beatles came along and those very same people threw all of those rules right out the window and became so worldly that you couldn't tell the difference between the two of them. By the time we get into the 70s, those same people were getting Keith Green and Amy Grant in the early beginnings of contemporary Christian music. You go into those quote-unquote old-line holiness churches today and it's a rock concert. And everybody's in jeans and t-shirts. They come the way they were and stay the way they came. You know what? If Jesus decided to live in your apartment, sleep on your couch in the living room for a month, would things change? Uh, They shouldn't. He's living in your heart. But how many of you were thinking, oh, yeah, I have to do something. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's get rid of the TV remote and the TV guide. Uh, let's, let's move some of those things out of there. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Those are some hard words right there. Uh, And by the way, it's not talking about being Amish. Have you ever thought that being Amish is just as ostentatious as dyeing your hair 16 colors and piercing every open area of flesh on your body? Uh, Which would you recognize first? Which, If you walked into a room and you had an Amish person sitting over here in the bib overhauls and the long white beard... And somebody over here with 14 colors of hair, you, you, you'd be going, whoa, wait a minute. Because they stick out. You know who we're supposed to draw attention to? How about Jesus? And if they're so busy looking at you, they can't see Jesus, who don't they see? That's what sanctification is. It's living apart enough from the world so that the world can see Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, we got two passages that we need to get to uh, that really, I think, uh, and they're hard passages as well. If you've done your Bible reading for today, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and if you haven't, go home and read it again tonight, amen? The last few verses of chapter 2 here, it's giving instruction to the preachers, and it says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Now, when we talk about people who are kicking against the pricks, who are screaming because of the goads that God has put, the pricks that God has put in our life to move us in the right direction, here's what the problem is. They oppose 
themselves. Here's the answer. If God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The reason the goads hurt is because you have refused truth. God's not going to change the position of the stick. It's going to be there every time you go against it. It's going to stick in your conscience. It's going to poke you in a place that is not comfortable. And its design is to move you in the right direction. Uh, I had a, uh, we had a man, uh, uh, not going to call his name, but attended here many, many years ago. And uh, he would always uh, call up and said, have you changed yet? He said, you're still not preaching that old sin thing like you used to, are you? Oh, more today than I was before. Whoa! uh, Are you running everybody off? I said, well, not last time I checked. Uh, I said, most of the people that come, come because they want to hear the Word of God. Wow, they must all be crazy like you. Yeah, yeah. But you know why he keeps calling me up? called me just the other day. (laughs) Andrew knows who I'm talking about. Why does he keep calling me up? Because the sharp point is still sticking him. He just... Why does the world so desperately want you to compromise? To make them feel better about their disobedience to the Word of God. Here's what it says. At the teach patience, instructing those that oppose themselves, and and we're still going to give the same message because it, it is possible for God to give them repentance. Now, what will that repentance be? Acknowledging the truth. How many of you, the first time you heard the gospel message, just believed it got saved and everything's been wonderful ever since? How many of you had a little opposition the first time? In the second time, in the third time. And, and how many of us still have a little bit of difficulty when it comes to obeying God's Word? But you know what keeps us in the right path is acknowledging what is true. The problem is not God, the problem is us. It says, And that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Uh, who are taken captive by him at his will. You're not as smart as the devil is. Don't don't ever get yourself in a chess game with the devil. When I was a kid, one of the big songs was, The Devil Went to Georgia Looking for Her Souls. Anybody remember that silly song by Charlie Daniels? You're, you're never going to beat the devil. He will always win. So what do you do? You hide behind Jesus. That's what you do. You acknowledge the truth. And let's look at one other passage that a lot of people struggle with. Hebrews chapter 6, if you would. Hebrews chapter 6. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith and a faith toward God. You need to understand the direction that the writer of Hebrews is going here. He's saying, listen, once you get saved, you're supposed to head toward a mature, a perfect, a complete relationship with Jesus Christ. This is why the quote-unquote Arminian churches, they, they have a way out. You just lost your salvation, so you need to get it again and, and again and, and again. And the Bible says, if we understand this passage correctly, it says here, for, verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, that means you're saved, my friend, have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, 
to renew them again unto repentance. Now, what Paul, the, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews, most people believe it was Paul, is saying here, if you could lose your salvation, you could never get it again. But look what it says here. Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Why would you demand the re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Because what he did the first time wasn't enough. If you believe that, you were never saved. And if you have any questions, just read the next two verses here. It says, for the earth, verse 7... For the earth which drinketh in rain that cometh oft upon it, bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. Good earth. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Uh, what the writer is doing here is just illustrating this point further. There are two types of soil. There is fertile soil that will grow things. And there is barren soil that will not grow. You can take the best seed and put it into rotten soil. And it will rot in the ground. It will not germinate. it, And if it does, it will not grow because there's not enough nutrients in the soil to produce the fruit. You see... It's hard to kick against the pricks. It is hard to deny the person and the, and the power and, and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to fight against the authority of this book. It is hard to live a life outside the local church. It's hard to live without a hope for Jesus' soon return. How hard is it to live in the world and claim to serve Christ at the same time? I'll tell you the reason why most people are able to do it is because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a terrible statement, but Jesus said, Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. You see, these two passages... We're supposed to instruct those that oppose themselves. And the reason why these people are constantly going back and dealing with salvation over and over again is because they never got the real thing in the first place. They crucify to themselves. Not biblically. Jesus died once. The Bible tells us that very clearly. But that's not good enough for them. Uh, how many remember the actor Michael Landon? He claimed to be somewhat of a quote-unquote Christian person, but he, he made this statement. He said, I don't, I don't believe it's good enough just to tell your sins to God. You've got to tell them. You've got to humble yourself in the sight of other people to, to be good enough for God to accept you. Now, what has he done? I'll tell you what, I am so glad he is so wrong. Because I don't want to stand in this pulpit and tell you all the wrong things that I have done. Would you want to do that? I'm glad that telling Jesus is good enough. Sometimes someone will come up and say, Pastor, I, I need to tell you some things. I say, no, wait a minute. I'm not a priest. Your confessing all of your bad things is just going to make us two that know about it. All you need to do is give it to Jesus Christ and He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. How hard is it to live a life kicking against the very things that Jesus put in our path to force us in the right direction? The whole idea of a goad is not pleasant. But how many of you have ever just done right out of the goodness of your heart every day? How many of you could use a little bit of uh, motivation in the right direction? What, what is the phrase that uh, the world has come up with? 
every great man has a better woman kicking him in the backside on the way to success or something along those lines. That's not necessarily true. I'll tell you what is true. Every person who lives for Christ has some sharp pointed sticks of God's word fastened by the master of assemblies, the one shepherd that will poke you and force you to either impale yourself upon it or to be directed by it. Could I challenge you, be directed by it? It's a whole lot more pleasant than impaling yourself upon it. Amen? Wrestling the Scriptures to their own destruction. Opposing themselves. Re-crucifying Jesus Christ. Jesus was not playing games when he said, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The Apostle Paul was looking at his own righteousness. He knew it wasn't enough. His conscience, as he compelled people to blaspheme, as he tricked them into saying things, as he persecuted both men and women, those things were all on his conscience as he was laying there in the dust on the road to Damascus. And he heard him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. What was Paul's answer? Saul's answer. First, it was, Lord, who art thou? Jesus told him, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. Then what was the second question? Lord, what will thou have me to do? He said, I'm going to stop fighting. And I'm going to start allowing you to move me. So don't get discouraged when you find a sharp stick. Let it move you closer to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it's not just suggestions, but it's the authoritative word of God. And we're thankful that you are there to prod us and to push us in the right direction. Lord, we pray that we would not stand against the the pricking of your word, the, the, the irritation that is caused as you and your word force us to make decisions that are in agreement with what's in the Bible. We ask, Lord, that you would give us grace to stop kicking against the pricks and be moved in the right direction. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just have the piano play. If you need to come, the altar's open.